Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about Independence Day. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight, we're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. This is an American science fiction action comedy invasion 4th of July thriller. Directed by Roland Emmerich. The cast includes the Fresh Prince, Lone Star, Dr. Ian Malcolm, Mama Darko, Cousin Eddie Johnson, Data, Frank, uh, Vernita Green, Buckwheat, and Katara. I watched this movie on Amazon Prime. Joey, how did you watch it? I watched it on YouTube. Okay, let's start things off with a synopsis for Independence Day. It is July 2nd, and aliens have invaded Earth. After extremely large, saucer-like spacecraft arrive on our planet, strategically positioned over major world landmarks, the question of are we alone in the universe has been answered, but it raises another question. Why are they here, and what do they want? The only person who seems to have any clue is David Levinson, played by Jeff Goldblum, a cable repairman who has never achieved his full potential. He has intercepted a transmission from the alien ships that seem to indicate some sort of countdown. He contacts his ex-wife, who works at the White House, in order to warn the president. David's warning is taken to heart, and the president escapes the White House just as the aliens strike. Through a coordinated effort, all of the alien ships turn on their primary weapons at once, blasting a laser into the Earth, destroying major U.S. landmarks like the White House, the Empire State Building, and famous landmark Los Angeles County. (laughs) The next day, July 3rd, Captain Stephen Hiller, played by Will Smith, and his squadron of elite fighter pilots mount a counterattack. However, the aliens' shields prove to be too strong, and the aliens' own fleet of ships picks off Hiller's squadron one by one. Only with some quick wits, fancy flying, and a bit of luck is Hiller able to survive. In the process, he also takes down one of the alien ships. While he was flying, he noticed an unfamiliar military base in the desert. This is, of course, Area 51, and they are, of course, studying aliens inside. The very same aliens, of course, that are invading Earth right now. Hiller drags the incapacitated alien out of his ship and across the desert to the base. The president decides it's time for drastic action. He launches a nuke at the spacecraft hovering over Houston, but it has no effect. The alien ships are too strong for even our most powerful weapons. It seems that all hope is lost in less than 36 hours. All metropolises will be destroyed and human life decimated. But David, the man who cracked the alien's code in the first place, has stumbled onto something 
You see, the Alien ship runs on Mac OS, and if you attempt to print something or install any sort of foreign software, the whole system will crash. David writes a virus that he believes will temporarily deactivate the shields for all the ships all over the world. He just needs to get to the mothership. Suddenly, there is a plan. It's a crazy plan, but it's so crazy, it just might work. Hell yeah. The Americans <laughs> contact all the other countries and explain the alien shields will all go down for a couple of minutes. That is when you need to strike. Most of the military is out of commission after the initial attack, so the government starts desperately recruiting pilots for their mission. One of those pilots is Russell Cass, played by Randy Quaid, an alcoholic crop duster who claims to have been abducted by aliens. Another one of the pilots is the president himself. Just before the attack begins, early in the morning of July 4th, the president gives a rousing speech, inspiring the world to make one last stand. Captain Hiller and David take the old Roswell spacecraft up to the alien mothership. They fly inside, revealing strange structures and thousands of alien soldiers. They are brought to the center of the craft for investigation. David uploads his virus, and they deploy a nuclear missile with a short fuse. With only 30 seconds to escape, Hiller expertly drives out of the mothership just as it explodes. Back on Earth, the assault isn't going well. The aliens are fighting back fiercely, and many planes have run out of missiles. But Russell Cass still has one remaining, and he flies his plane directly into the alien's big laser cannon, causing a chain reaction that blows up the entire saucer. With the aliens successfully beaten back, the world celebrates as one. The end. There you have it. The events of Independence Day synthesized just for you here on the Affable Chat podcast. Let's start talking about this movie with our pros and cons. Joey, what did you like about Independence Day? I mean, it's fun. Come on. It's a fun movie. Come on. What else can you say? It's fun. Yeah. Um, it's a great cast of charismatic characters, including the extras. Uh, the story is easy to follow and straightforward. Some of the best special effects and explosions in movie history, hands down. Um, this movie uh, also probably could not be made today, uh, which kind of gives it a special quality. What about you? What did you like about it? It's... Epic, high-stakes sci-fi action. It's, it's a movie's movie. Like It's just big-time explosions, like you said. I actually think that the special effects do hold up very well, considering how long this movie's been out. Uh, for the most part, it still looks amazing. Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum bring their the star power we expect them to bring to a movie, and uh, I loved seeing them as a duo up there. <laughs> It's got a deep cast, a lot of great actors with small roles, and it's also a like quote unquote Fourth of July movie, which oh, yeah. is very fun and pretty unique. Uh, it's, I'll yeah, talk way, to, about. way to carve out that niche, right? Yes. When it's Fourth of July, you're not like, which movie am I going to watch? Which Fourth of July movie am I going to watch? You know, right? No, there's only one. There's only one to reach for, and that's Independence Day. Right. I I like that a lot. But those are the pros. Let's talk cons. Joey, what did you not like about Independence Day? This movie is cheesy as hell. Uh, it's full of cliches and stereotypes. Uh, the payoffs aren't really satisfying for me, and it's all just kind of, it's all kind of dumb <laughs> in general. Okay. What about you? <laughs> uh, too many one-liners, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but there's 
plenty of great quotable moments, but then they would be followed up by like two or three more quotable <laughs> moments where you're like, okay. Everybody's got to get their, you know, their ribs in. <laughs> yes, they did attempt that. Overall, I felt like the dialogue was pretty cringe in, in a lot of places where, like kind of you're saying, it's, it's so cheesy and uh, also very melodramatic where it seemed like they were trying to squeeze out like these dramatic moments that were unearned. So it was just not something I loved. So those are our pros and our cons. Let's move on to our overall section. Joey, take it away. So I'm going to get pretty deep pretty quick with this because I think this movie is pretty well established, but there's something very strange about it. It sits with me. It has this weird feeling when I was watching it. And over the next couple of days after I watched it, I was still unsure of how to feel about it. And it's really hard for me to explain why, but I feel like I have exactly what I'm trying to say written down here. So at first, it's the tone that seems dissonant. Um, The movie wavers between silly action movie and quips and jokes bordering on slapstick. I don't think it ever gets to the point where somebody's hit in the head or something. But if that happened, it's it wouldn't really be that out of place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, definitely. It's so close. Um, and, but it's also wavering between that and then super serious. Uh, like like my wife is dying and the world is ending. <laughs> the world is ending. Energy. <laughs> like but, yeah, I have to tell my daughter that her mom is dying. Exactly. During the, like <laughs> apocalypse. Yeah. Right. And then moments later, he's giving the a great speech and like laughing it up with his friends in this in this plane. <laughs> But there is a, there's something really important to remember about this movie, and and that thing is that it is from the 90s. And I think I have a quote that helps uh, <laughs> indicate that. Honey, it's the 90s, remember? Microchips, <laughs> microwaves, faxes, air phones. Anyway. Thank you, Die Hard 2. <laughs> you're so welcome. I was listening to another podcast called Beyond the Screenplay, where they interviewed Lindsay Ellis, who is one of my favorite YouTubers, uh, about a video she made about this movie and about alien evasion movies in general. She claims that 9-11 was the reason why this movie feels different than it did when it came out. And the coding of invasion specifically changed forever. Coding, like that term, is really important to understanding this movie there's a lot of characters and they're all balanced really well but this is because they don't go into a lot of depth they are mostly all stereotypes they fit into preconceived molds of characters that we already know the recent divorcee the single mom slash stripper with a heart of gold the president who's insecure about his leadership it's all forms it's all stuff that we can grasp in seconds this is really helpful when you're making a movie like this because it means a lot of the heavy lifting is done off screen before you even show up for the movie you already know what to expect from the characters that you see on the screen The same is true for invasion movies in general. At this point, the movie going public was familiar with the disaster movies as a genre. It was really popular in the 70s, apparently. And invasion movies as a subgenre of the the disaster movie, like larger genre. Part of the expectation for a movie in in this genre is that there's a ton of death and a ton of epic set pieces being destroyed or changed or whatever. It didn't hold any other significance beyond the language of film. Today, however, that coding is completely different. Today, our movies are more focused on the human element and the consequences of rampant destruction, where in the 90s, seeing the Empire State Building destroyed is simply an abstraction. It's a super cool shot. Today, namely post 9-11, this is way more real. That kind of destruction actually happens, and our media has come to reflect that reality. Think about like Man of Steel. It tries to indulge in that 
same destruction porn, for lack of a better term, but it also is trying to be gritty and really serious. And the consequences of that distraction in that movie are felt in the, mo in the moments after it happens and in that movie's many sequels. Independence Day uses those images to raise the stakes and to get you invested in the story, which I think it does really well. It's not trying to make some sort of political statement. Even though all speech is political speech, this movie comes from an era in which that this destroying a building wasn't necessarily a political statement. To muddy the waters even further, though, here's a quote from an interview from the writers, director, and cast. This quote is from uh, Dean Devlin talking about uh, negotiating with Fox about a promo they wanted to make for the movie. Fox said, uh, you can't actually blow up the White House in a TV spot. And, and Roland, the uh, director, said, why? And Fox says, well, because what happened in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City uh, with the Oklahoma bombing, uh, where 150 people died, and it could be insensitive. And then uh, Devlin says, yeah, but that, was that wasn't done by space aliens. <laughs> so as you can see, viewing this movie now, those scenes take on a more serious tone than how it was viewed in the 90s. Not because I can't differentiate between movies in real life. Maybe that is a problem I have, but that's not the problem I'm talking about right now. The, because the coding for this kind of destruction has changed. It means, that something, it means something different to moviegoers in 2021 than it did in 1996. Now, what's interesting is that this, doing some research about the special effects, this kind of special effects stuff was never done before. Usually when they had some sort of invasion or something, it was always a threat of some sort of uh, destruction. Never, you never actually get to saw, see the actual destruction. So it, even for moviegoers back then, it was probably pretty shocking. But again, there's an abstraction there where you're like, wow, that was an amazing shot. Oh, wow, this is so crazy to see all this happening. Whereas today, you know, it's not just that we are familiar with that kind of destruction in real life. It's that our movies and media are reflecting that kind of destruction and showing uh, the consequences of that, whether that's political or human or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you see that, when I see that in um, uh, Independence Day, I'm think I'm kind of going automatically to that. I'm like, oh, wow, like all the people that died are like, what's going to be the political fallout from this? How are people going to talk about this? Whatever. That's what the, that's not what this movie is about, you know? And so when it doesn't do that, it creates this dissonance for me where I'm like, okay, uh, that was at, like, that's not actually the one I'm supposed to be taking away from this. I'm actually supposed to be taking away. Oh, this is serious. Not, Oh, what are the political consequences of this? Right. So it, it creates this kind of a uh, confusion a little bit there. Well, but, I, I recognize the scenes or that specific sequence uh, because it was used in a documentary we watched on this podcast called Hypernormalization, right. which kind of harps on this same subject uh, with the way that that kind of destruction is uh, forever changed from our perspective post 9-11. Yeah, it, it's just really interesting to, to see how that fits together. And I think this movie is kind of a victim of that. But it's also, what's what's interesting, I think, is that it's from a time that was uh, not necessarily more naive, but like its value, its values were different. You know, it, uh, we were focused on different problems back in the nineties than we were today. And so there was that, that language of film had to adapt to, to reach that. And I, in some ways it's a feedback loop, right? Where the language of film adapted to the changing reality, but also the change of reality adapted because of the films that were being made and the way that we see them. Um, so it's, it's confusing. The other thing is that this movie is like, 
strangely optimistic, which feels very quaint, you know, um, it, like it has a very happy ending. But it's the same. It's also the same year. This movie came out the same year that Infinite Jest came out, where like, which is ripe with American cynicism and how like, like uh, the modern kind of even upper middle class life can feel so oppressive um, to people that are finding their way in the world. Whereas this movie is like, oh, everything is great, you know. So it's, it's kind of this competing narrative of like. What's, you know, who, what kind of person you are at this time, but also the time period you're in and which one of those two like flavors you're kind of more inclined to, whether that's going to be that cynicism that was seeping in and it is more prevalent now as our empire continues to crumble, or if it, if it was something that we were saying, okay, well, we're still on the up, you know, we're still the best country in the world, and here's more proof of it right here in Independence Day. Right. All we have to do is put our petty differences aside and right. unite as one mankind, and America <laughs> will lead the charge on that because, God damn it, we're the best country out here. Yeah, which is also funny because this was made by a German guy. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so anyway, all of that is to say that it's not just the tone shifting that makes this movie weird. It's also really full of cliches and references to other movies, especially Spielberg movies. I actually have a bunch of quotes here that I would like to play for you. Uh, I mean, the, this one is, uh, is pretty obvious right off the bat. Something you want to add to this briefing, Captain Hiller? No, sir. Just a little anxious to get up there and whoop E.T.'s ass, that's all. <laughs> I mean, E.T. means extraterrestrial, but I mean... To everyone who's watched a movie, E.T. is the cute little alien from Spielberg's movies. Um, and then, of course, there's this one, also from Will Smith. That's what I call a close encounter. That one's a little more obscure, but that's reference to Close Encounters of the Third Kind, also a Spielberg movie. And then probably the most egregious one, the one that really makes my eyes uh, like roll right out of my skull. Oh, they're closing up on us. Is that closing? Shut up, shut up, shut up! Go faster. Must go faster. Must go faster. Go, 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 go! It's not the screaming that that's really the reference. It's the must go faster, must go faster, right. must go faster, From, which is uh, Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park, also played by, which is also starring Jeff Goldblum, who plays a character very similar to the one he plays in this movie and says the exact same line as a reference to that movie. I mean, what the hell, man? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, again, this movie is relying a lot on, you know, those that coding, right? And for that reason, it feels like it's standing on the shoulders of other movies. Um, and it just feels like you're watching, but like these references, like, take me out of it to the point where I'm like, what am I watching right now? Like, am I supposed to believe that this is occurring in the real world where they, these people have seen Spielberg's movies and are referencing them? Because there's nothing about this movie that's realistic. I mean, absolutely nothing. Wait, wait so, so right, you're implying that the character of David, whatever his last name is. Yeah, uh, like, Livingston or something. Yeah, Livingston has seen Jurassic Park, which is a movie that stars Jeff Goldblum, who allegedly is a real person. Right. And is now quoting it in a similar situation in his actual life where he's like just dropping a quick yeah, Jurassic yeah. So, I mean, Park that, line. That one is the most like <laughs> like mind-blowing, but I feel like you could actually make that abstraction for uh, Will Smith's, both of Will Smith's references, right? Right. He, go up there to kick E.T.'s ass. He's referencing E.T. Everyone knows what E.T. is. Of course. He's close Encounter. That's what I call a Close Encounter. 
Like, that's like what else could uh, he be referencing there? Exactly. Like, <laughs> that's what exactly what it is, right? Uh, so yeah, I feel like I feel like yes. The answer to your question is yes. That's so funny. Uh, but like the writing is so ham-fisted, it's so melodramatic and cinematic. It moves from epic line to epic line. It's it's very entertaining, but I'm, I'm never convinced that this is real. So it, it's so much concerned with so much more concerned with just seeming awesome than it is like trying to be part of the real world. But it's also making references to the real world, right? Uh, that's something that um, Christopher Nolan uh, talks about in some of his interviews. Is he, like the meta cinematic aspect of it. He never tries to reference movies in his movies, even if he's uh, even if the like the uh, the source material references a movie, he'll change it to something else so that it's uh, it fits into the universe better. Because he never wants you to re- to remind you that you're watching a movie. He's taking you on an experience. So. That's not what's happening here. In this movie, it's like, hey, we got a reference. Let's throw it in there. Hey, hey, hey. yeah, references yeah. are great. Yeah, I mean, if this hit reference doesn't hit, we're gonna have them make two more references immediately after. One That's of right. them will will land, <laughs> surely. Yeah, but at the same time, like, it is awesome. I mean, it's awesome seeing everything happen, and like, the dialogue is not important necessarily, but it's not helping at all. Right. And then, like, why does it? why does it rely so much on pop culture references instead of the strength of just pure cheese, you know, because right before, um, uh, right before Will Smith, uh, says that, that, you know, that's what I call a close encounter. He punches the alien in the face and says, welcome to earth. Amazing line. Incredible. Yes. yes. It's an amazing moment. It makes me laugh every single time I think about it. (laughs) It's so amazing. It's even funnier when you watch it. So like, um, why don't they do more of that? You know, like instead of instead of you know digging through the mounds of existing content, why aren't they building on top of it? You know, and making their own. Right. No, and uh, that line specifically, you know, precedes the close encounter one by ten seconds, and yeah. it kind of ruins it because you have this amazing line. It's like, "Welcome to Earth." You know, and that's right. badass. Great quip. <laughs> right. And then he turns around. And he's like. Let me think about this. Uh, that's what I call a close encounter. Like, it, like <laughs> we don't need to throw another one in there, man. You already nailed it. Now you're going overboard, and you're you're actually lowering the value yeah, yeah. of the initial quote. Behind the camera, uh, Roland just like more quips. Yeah, more quips. More quips. More quips. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the last thing I want to touch on is like the several setups and payoffs in this movie that I feel like don't really tie things together. Um, they don't really hit for me at the way that they usually do. I feel like like David's air sickness is a really good example for this and his general dislike of flying, right? It's established early on when they're on air force one that he doesn't, he feels sick when he's on the plane or whatever. And then he's hesitant to get on the uh, ship, the alien ship with Will Smith, but it doesn't stop him in any way. It doesn't hinder him in any way. And once he's up there, he's totally fine. He's just, you know, nervous about whether they're going to die or not, but he's not nervous about the flying itself. You know what I mean? So uh, I don't know. And then there's this whole thing where he's like a, a recycling nut, which feels really quaint too. like, <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> like, oh, he's like, I'm saving the world by recycling. You know, it's like, Come on, man. That We're was, so beyond that. <laughs> it was such a... Because um, I thought that would build towards some sort of environmental take or some sort of larger yeah. issue, but it didn't. All it did was give him a chance to be like, I'm always trying to save the world, right? And here's my chance and kind of complete his low ambition arc where sure. he went from this guy who had all this potential, didn't you like wasn't ambitious enough to fulfill that potential, which is the reason his ex-wife is his ex-wife, no longer his wife. 
and then he like gets to you know save the world which i guess is what you're trying to do when you recycle like but they don't make an argument that like personal advocacy uh is like important or that public advocacy potentially is more important like you need the government to step in and do something more and that's more important than just recycling none of that is there. it's right there though it's right there it's right there in front of you they were clearly setting it up that's what it felt like at least but then once you see what it ends up being it's just so that he can say I'm always trying to save the world. <laughs> right, and it throws the Coke can away. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's so dumb. I don't I, I really did not like that. It makes me cringe so much. Um and, and then there's like that whole thing uh where he yeah, he comes into the lab and and he tries he's like, I'm making a mess. I'm making a mess, Dad. because uh, everyone everything sucks. He like walks into the lab and he starts busting everything over. He's holding like a bottle of some stuff. Nondescript what liquor. What are you doing? I'm making a mess. Yeah, this I can see. We gotta burn the rainforest. Dump toxic waste. Pollute the air and rip up the ozone. Because maybe if we screw this planet up enough, they won't want it anymore. David, David, don't do this to yourself. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, like this is his low point. Is like, oh, all that recycling was for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All that separation of, of my waste materials came to to not. <laughs> oh, yeah, only pestering people about putting their recycling in the right, right. in the bin that's marked recycling. And I should have been doing the opposite because now the al- now I took too good uh, care of the earth. And now the aliens <laughs> want it. <laughs> yeah, so I I don't know, man. I think there is like a hidden um, environmental message in here. They do make a reference to the day the Earth stood still. Um, in this, uh, I think it plays in the TV uh, at some point, um, which I believe is a more overt uh, environmental, um, like science fiction movie, where there the idea is that we haven't been taking care of the Earth, and so we deserve to die or something like that. Um, so this is, uh, I feel like this movie sort of touches on that, which is like this is a natural disaster in that like the aliens are just here to kill us. There's no rhyme or reason to it, right? They're uh, they're here to to kill us. It, that's about as far as it goes, uh, and therefore it sort of like fits into this natural disaster category, right? Where it's like, okay, well, how do we how do we work together to help solve this problem? I don't know. Well, okay, it's but not, here's the thing: explicit. A- alien invasion is distinctly different from man-made climate change, right? Yes. There's no responsibility. It's not like, oh, it's totally our fault that the aliens are here. That's not. That's a part really of good it. point. But that's like it's like the allegory is there, where it's like something something is going to happen and right. we have to work together to help solve it. Right? We have to come. Yeah. We do have to unite as a people to be able to combat this. I don't think that's really here in the text, but I feel like they were, they were, it was kind of there. They were trying to reach for it, but it, it doesn't really get there. Um, okay. And then, then there's like the, the one payoff set of payoff that worked for me was Will Smith going to space. Uh, he was trying to get into NASA and then he gets the letter saying he's rejected or whatever. And Harry Connick Jr. Reads it and he's, you know, very strange. Glad he's dead. Wow, <laughs> that's harsh. Didn't, didn't like his character. Um, and then he, uh, yeah, he goes to space. He ends up going to space and flying the thing. He's like, oh, this is everything I always wanted. That was cool. Really? I like that payoff. Uh, yeah, okay. I, did. I feel a little bit different. I, I feel like that is emblematic of a lot of the setup and payoff in this movie, where it's like, technically, yes, you did set that up, and yes, you, it did pay off. But I didn't feel like there was enough of Will Smith being like all I've ever wanted is to go to space, you know, or it's Mm. like, you know, this would be different. Like if I could just go to space, then this, then I could, you know, I'm, 
a real like, cool guy like and everything but you know I don't really think I'm going to be able to like be proud of myself unless one day I'm up among the stars or something yeah, yeah. like that. You need like you need one shot of him like the night before the aliens come with the telescope and yeah. he, and and Dylan, right? And right. they're sitting there like look up there, Dylan, that's Mars. Like one day yeah. I'm going to be the first man on Mars, you know, something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Just make it more about who he is because yeah, it is cool that he got to go to space and and the letter to NASA made it clear that he wanted in, but we don't know yeah. anything about his journey. He said, I've wanted this my whole life. Have you? Or was it just the thing you were interested in this past month when you applied <laughs> there? And that's just your current obsession. And sure. you had all these other goals throughout your life. We wouldn't know. It's just what we get to see, which is barely anything. And I feel like that kind of setup and payoff is pretty common in this movie, where by showing us the letter and being like, he's wanted this his whole life, we're like, okay, we're, I'm familiar with this kind of narrative. Um, yes. And, and it'll be. It, there will be a payoff of sorts at the end of the movie when he does go to space. That's a good point. It could have been a lot stronger, I think. That was the one that hit the best for me, I think. Uh, as opposed, especially, like, to the president. Like, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to take away from him. <laughs> like, like, should the mes- message be uh, stop being the president and be a pilot because that's easier? When you, were the, when you were the president, your wife died. When you were the pilot, you saved the world. <laughs> okay. Well, let me, let me like, jump in on that because going back to this idea of this being a 4th of July movie, mm-hmm. I and it's not just about, like, the literal history of America. It's like kind of adding its own mythic to the holiday. Yeah. I feel like this movie does lean pretty hard into that kind of being 4th of July themed and even expands on the holiday to include the rest of the world. Right. Which doesn't necessarily make it less American. It's almost like us taking everyone else under their under our wing. Oh, no. It's the most like, American thing ever is to export our freedom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and, you know, the whole unity thing is uh, a idea that I can get behind. I do like this message of, you know... For, putting aside our petty differences uh some minimalizing glo- geopolitical politics but like <laughs> i are like global politics but they i i, I get the sentiment and i support yeah. that right but i also think that by leaning hard into this july 4th theme you can legitimize the choice to turn the president of the United States into a warrior hero yes. who like helped like flies off to shoot down the alien invasion. I like I think that's just badass Fourth of July shit. Um, yeah, I don't know if it really his arc supports that, but I thought it was super cool that he got into the jet and flew off to fight the aliens. It was really cool. No, it definitely is. Oh, it's so I mean that's the thing. He's a great president for that reason. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's something there about like at the very beginning he was like really insecure, right? Like the he gave a speech before Congress and like his approval rating dropped or something. And he's like, I don't know if this president thing is really what I'm out cut out for, you know? Yeah, they elected a warrior, but they got a wimp. That's like what yeah. a pundit said that. That's right. And then he and then at the end, right, he gives that rousing speech and inspires everybody, right? So maybe he's like getting good at saying speeches or something. I don't know. But it's uh I don't know. I'm it was really murky. Sure it was definitely murky. I saw him mostly as just like a glorification of the office of the president uh, of the yes. United States. Just like make the president look good. He's brave. He didn't want to hide in a bunker. He wanted to stay in the White House. You know, he's only running away at the last second when it's absolutely the only thing he can do after uh, 
Jeff Goldblum comes and warns him that he has to leave the White House. It just makes the the office of the presidency look good, which I absolutely. think you can justify in a Fourth of July movie. Absolutely, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, he's one of the main characters. I I was surprised how much it focused on him as opposed to like Will Smith because Will Smith is like top build. He's the like quote unquote protagonist of this ensemble movie, right? But it really does focus a lot on Bill Pullman's you know President Whitmer. Yeah. And then there's Randy Quaid, the uh, Russell Cass, uh, the drunk uh, pilot. Um, he's like a so I'm not sure what the message here is. <laughs> Maybe if you're a deadbeat dad, you should kill yourself. <laughs> that's I don't think that's the, the exact lesson you're supposed to learn here. Oh, but. Okay, maybe I'm doing too. Maybe I'm being too uh, reductionist. Um, but like. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's 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 weird because like his whole thing is like I'm really angry at these aliens and I'm gonna go fly my whatever it takes. I'm gonna fly up there and I'm gonna show them what for. And even if I have to sacrifice myself, I have to go in there. It is kind of funny. I kind of want to make like I imagine like a sketch for this, like an SNL sketch or something where um you have all the pilots in their planes and they're all run out of missiles and they're all just like oh, well, well, what do we do? You know, like, there's nothing we can do. And then they're all kind of looking at each other like somebody's going to sacrifice themselves. <laughs> into the, and the president's like, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm the president, right? <laughs> somebody's going to sacrifice themselves. I don't know who it is going to be. Someone going to volunteer or we're going to make, we're going to draw straws or something. So, yeah, so. Um, Wait, so how would they convince Randy Quaid to do I it? I don't know. I don't know. I've, that's They'd all be like, half hey, remember what these guys did to you? Like, uh, yeah, start yeah. making, like, jokes right, like, about them oh, getting probed. Yeah, like, yeah. See, that, that thing looks kind of like an anus up there. You know, you can fly directly <laughs> toward it. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, so I, I feel like. Well, first of all, his reading some of the history about this movie, his character's backstory was really kind of um, was really made in reshoots. They actually added in a lot more stuff to him late in in the production of this movie. Originally, he just kind of showed up in his crop duster and flew it in there, uh-huh. and people thought that was too silly. So they they added some actual backstory to him. But I feel like it would have been stronger if he had like part gave them given them some sort of a. Uh, intelligence about the aliens you know like oh they kidnapped the wrong guy you know i took notes and like i i know i'm a i'm a crazy kook but like in my basement i've drawn a whole layout of the ship you know i know what the aliens look like i know what their weaknesses are and suddenly it's like oh this guy who we all thought was kooky he's actually super valuable and like all the things we thought was crazy he's actually like really really um he's really really useful as but now he's just like he's a useful idiot really like oh well we'll just fly him up there and see what he does so hopefully he'll you know fix the problem for us because there's a wild card right and he's i guess you could say it's like his life is kind of wasted after that where he was kind of this kooky guy he's not even good at his job and he's like maybe this will make it all worth it like i'm my life ends here but at least i did something meaningful but he also still has kids it's like i'm just gonna orphan my children right quick while i get revenge on the aliens it's just fine with it it's just (laughs) okay i thought that was really weird when there was like your father's a very proud man. Like you should be, or you, he's a very brave man. You should be proud of him. And he's like, I am. And it's like, really? You're 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 already over this? How? That was so quick. Uh, yeah, you really probably didn't give a shit about your dad then. So yeah, it just his whole arc was really jumbled up and weird. I feel yeah. like there was a number of ways you could have gone with it, but they kind of just stayed in this gray area where he, you were supposed to laugh at him half the time and also feel sorry for him. Like, isn't he evidence that we don't take care of our veterans because yes. he's, he's in this terrible situation after having served our country in Nam. I 
Yeah, I didn't love it. I uh, thought it was good that we had so much info on him because he ended up playing such a big role. I, yes. I liked knowing him well before he went in there, but a lot of the times it was just like, am I supposed to like this guy? Is it his fault? Is it like how right. bad is the PTSD from the aliens and how much of this is just him being a, you know, alcoholic? Lindsay Ellis says in the podcast that in, there's a bunch of movies, but Independence Day is one of them that isn't sure if the deep state is good or not. It's like, <laughs> Oh, like, you know, we have to do our own thing. You know, we have to be a, a rogue soldier or something, you know, or like we have to be, take care. We can't, you know, it's not taking care of our veterans or like the, the military industrial complex has all these problems. Right. But it's also like, oh, but the commander in chief, he's a real good guy. You know, you really got to like give it to the military because they're the ones who solve this problem. So it's like, I don't know. It's like playing with both of these ideas at the same time. I don't know. I, even talking about it in this depth honestly kind of feels wrong because it's mm-hmm. clear that this movie is not trying to say anything. It's just trying to show you something cool. Right. <laughs> so, like, but it's just evidence that, like, they didn't really develop the characters at all. It, they're all very wooden, you know, and the dialogue doesn't support them enough. Um, and although you get some fun moments, I think a lot of that has got to be credit to Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum's just pure charisma on screen. That's really boosting this to the next level, um, more so than well-written characters. Totally. I I don't even, I mean, we called him Hiller and David Levinson, but to me, it's still just Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith. These characters. I had to go back in and control H, you know, replace all of the Will Smiths in my synopsis because, (laughs) because that's who they are. And and I love those guys. So obviously I enjoyed it, but their characters do not have any depth and definitely never become, they never become a different person on screen. Uh, I mean, and you know, like I said, we love those guys, but I think it's definitely a, a mark on this movie to be like, these characters just don't even exist. It's just yeah. literally Jeff Goldblum and, and literally Will Smith. Uh, but you were saying that this movie isn't trying to say anything. Uh, going back to what it definitely is trying to say, which is as many one-liners as possible, uh, <laughs> we it did have some pretty good ones. Because uh, like the scene where Randy Quaid shows up after the president runs out of missiles, I loved having like, sorry I'm late, Mr. President. Like, that's a good <laughs> line. The uh, like, gentlemen, let's plow the road. You know, like that's pretty yeah. badass. Like that was a good sequence they had going there. Um, and then like, up yours when he like flies his ship into it like all that stuff hey, can hello be good. boys i'm back yes like that was badass especially with how good the special effects looked and like oh the timing yeah of it. it explodes the whole thing yes that was awesome so like i don't want to i feel like we've been pretty negative about it so far there definitely are good aspects to having cheesy one-liners that are executed well uh but there's also plenty of misses in this um and also just the dialogue in general i felt like was pretty cringe uh if we could play this clip really quick right here oh my god oh my god oh my god i gotta call my brother i better call my housekeeper i gotta call my lawyer Uh, forget my lawyer like, what is the joke here? That lawyers suck or something? Yes. Like, yeah. Why are we making these, lawyer jokes? Why are we hearing this like very like not funny joke about lawyers in the middle of a very serious situation? It just didn't. The the tone didn't really match it for me. And there's so many of these lines you just groan because it's like, wow, this is so definitely a movie where it's like <laughs> we have to have his coworker who's who like frantically says like his bit. Like if this was a real line of dialogue it's like 
dude, this is serious. Stop trying to do a bit. You know, yeah. like just call your mom or whatever you said you're gonna do. Don't don't try to get me to laugh here. I'm Jeff Goldblum and I'm actually stressed out right now because the world is ending. Okay. Right. You don't need to be testing out your jokes on me. Like <laughs> your tight five on lawyers. Yeah. So <laughs> and that's just one example. I just felt like in general the dialogue fell very short in this movie, which again yeah. just adds to kind of the overall cheesy feeling um that goes Oh yeah. I mean, but that's the thing, it's like it's hard to separate the cheese the good cheese from the bad cheese mm-hmm. you know yeah because there's that part where he blows up or he uh, uh, like uh, the first president ever by the way to directly deploy a nuke um <laughs> says may our children forgive us as he bombs <laughs> fucking houston <laughs> oh my gosh great line though i mean he's like you can tell he's like all right i know this is a very important moment for history let me try to say something cool <laughs> We survived this. We're going to need a quote in the history books for, for this moment. So That's just a step up the ladder in his arc to great speech giving. You That's know? true. He's getting better. <laughs> that was a good arc. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, but, you know, going beyond that, um, just like getting back to Will Smith, like Will Smith's performance in this, I was really surprised with how much his character wasn't a real character. Like he's just <laughs> Will Smith being loud and badass. And I don't think this movie asks enough of him. They yeah. really are just saying, like, go be Will Smith. Everybody loves Will Smith already. So just, you know, be muscular, be, uh, like, you know, outspoken, and just exist on screen. And I, I yeah, felt like well, that was pretty disappointing. I mean, that's the thing is, like, I feel like he's he's not really given a lot to do, right? But n- nobody is. And so the reason why he stands out is because he is so... He is like so good with the one-liners and so good with just being kind of a tough, like funny guy, you know. Um, and so, like that kind of elevates it. So I feel like that his Will Smithness overshadows what he's given, but it's not so much that like I don't know. I feel like he needs. Uh, you're right. He needs a little bit more, but everybody does, you know. Well, it, it just didn't feel like there was a reason why. Um, what was his rank? Uh, Captain. Captain. I can't Hillard. remember his last Steve name Hillard. anymore. Yes, <laughs> Captain Stephen Hillard. Like, it didn't really feel like there was a reason why he was chosen outside of him being played by Will Smith, right? Like, he kind of goes above and beyond with, like, stealing the helicopter to go rescue his girlfriend and stuff like that. But yeah, all he's the only one who survives the squadron attack. Right? I know, he's but like even the, that feels and, like it was just luck. Area 51. Yeah. No, but, yeah, it was, it was luck. But there was also that thing with this parachute, and he was driving, flying expertly through the Grand Canyon. That was really cool. You know... And not everyone could do that. He was the only one that got away. Fair enough. It just, uh, it just felt like, again, it was like that happened because he was Will Smith and he couldn't die versus like this <laughs> captain actually being like set up in a way that makes him unique, right? Um, yeah. So I don't know. It just, but I'm, he, I don't know. He also fits in with the rest of the movie though, right? Uh, he, I mean, this movie would not be as good without Will Smith. And the thing is like, like all, all of that cheesiness or whatever, he fits into that perfectly. Like if we wanted this to be a more serious movie, then yeah, it would be it'd be weirder. But this is he fits into this whatever mold they're trying to get him into perfectly for this movie. He just he fits that uh that that lock perfectly, I think. Yeah. So well, yeah, I, I mean, it makes sense that he gets top billing for this movie because he is spot on for that. But I don't know. Yeah. I just I heard so much about this movie being so iconic. And I, I just I'm a little bit surprised that it, we got what we got. Um, yeah. Another thing. Uh, we talked a little bit about the special effects. I think that they hold up 
almost across the board. Um, there's one particular scene I can think of where it's bad, where at the end of the movie, Will Smith is holding his son and they're looking at the destroyed spaceship and it's like so clearly green screen i guess the type of thing where they're like ah shit we forgot to film this will go stand in front of that green screen right there and we'll just film you from behind for a second it just looks so bad but other like but but that's that's very those examples are few and far between mostly this movie looks amazing like the the aliens look so good yeah the uh the red sky like the fiery clouds that rolled in above the cities looks so cool uh the way that the i mean the lasers that hit the buildings uh, just the explosions looks really cool like I, i read that they recorded it in like 12 times speed and then played it slightly slower so you could really see every detail of it and the way that cars kind of like flew through the sky and smashed other cars oh yeah that stuff was so awesome uh, i have some yeah. stuff in the easter eggs about uh, about how they did that too if you want to talk about that uh well you'll we'll get to that um okay. but yeah i thought that 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 held up for sure um okay and then I think the the cheesiest moment of this movie for me, and then we'll we'll cover this and we'll move on, but the cheesiest moment in this movie for me was when Vivica A. Fox is in her car in traffic and the explosion happens behind her. Oh my God. And she gets out of the car with her son and like breaks down this door to like hide (laughs) in the side of the tunnel and she calls out like, Boomer, Boomer (laughs) to her dog, Boomer, who's like, roof, you know, and like has this epic little like run and like the dog jumps and as an explosion happens behind him, it's like, wait a second. Who the hell is Boomer? Like, yeah, where's he come from? It's, just, it's so funny that they're like, okay, where's this dog? He doesn't even show up earlier in, like, in the house. And and there he is in the car. And then they leave him behind. And then what the plan is just to call to Boomer over the booming explosion. <laughs> And which she perfectly hears and knows exactly where to go. Well, what a the, good dog. Right, right, but also the fact that it's like, wait a second. <laughs> First off, should I know who this is? Second off, am I supposed to care? Who is Boomer? Like, why does he? It's like everybody's favorite dog, Boomer. Like, we, we right. want to see Boomer die in the explosion. It's like, huh? And then he never shows up again. Like, this to me is like almost like they're doing parody in the movie itself. Like, they're making a joke about dogs in movies i don't know kind of it's just like another epic moment like oh is a dog gonna die are they gonna kill the dog no oh my gosh the dog almost didn't make it i mean that's what you can do with a dog you know dogs have such strong plot armor you can literally (laughs) put them in the bathroom explosion in a tunnel and they'll survive and then after that he doesn't matter at all that's the other thing too is it's like thank goodness boomer didn't die in that explosion because this now happens but no it's just like boomer almost died it might as well have died because we never yeah. had to see boomer again so i thought that was the most bizarre i went back i was like hold on did i fall asleep during this and miss the part where boomer is like a character <laughs> oh boy so so, yeah. so what, what would you say would you say okay boomer to that part yeah i would say okay <laughs> i guess <laughs> anyways okay let's move on to our cool easter eggs um, and I've got the first one here. So this film was banned in Lebanon under pressure from Hezbollah because it included scenes where Israeli and Iraqi soldiers joined forces in the montage where militaries around the world signed on to the U.S. plan to counterattack the alien forces. Uh, for the last 
few decades, Lebanon officially boycotts any form of entertainment that features Israelis. Wow. Uh, yeah, which I thought was really, that was like one of the more interesting Amazon x-rays that I saw while I was watching this movie. Um, and, you know, kind of ironic, seeing as the whole point of that scene is to be like, unity. And Yeah. Uh, it's not even that, like, significant. You know, it's just the flags, right? And I guess they they speak whatever. Sure. Uh, you know, the languages from whatever sides, right? But they don't... Uh, they don't make a big deal out of it. They're just like, hey, here's some examples of people working together, you know? Yeah. It's, it's like 10 seconds, maybe. Right. And just going back to the Amazon x-rays, this Amazon x-ray on this one is a train wreck. Every really? single scene contains continuity errors and accidental <laughs> goof-ups and, like, so much bullshit that I do not care about. Where they're yes. like, actually, like in this scene, the uh, like general asks for his lieutenant's sidearm, but in an earlier scene, you could see that the general has his own pistol holstered. It's like, <laughs> I don't care. Like that that makes me like I stopped it's, reading them because there's so it's many. This movie's been stupid. watched too many times. I think exactly. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, uh, another Easter egg. Uh, I just think is interesting. This is the highest grossing movie of 1996. Yes, yeah. and to add on to that, actually, it beat out Twister, Scream, Space Jam, Mission Impossible, and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. So even Disney could not compete with the the power of ID4, as it was known in the promotional <laughs> features. <laughs> anyway, um, so it actually, in addition to that, it also broke opening day and opening week records set by Jurassic Park the year before, which then Jurassic Park The Lost World, also starring Jeff Goldblum, eclipsed the when that movie came out a few years later. So um, it, it was even bigger than Jurassic Park when it came out, um, which wow. was pr pretty incredible. Um, I, I have this really interesting quote from, and this is a really good article from Hollywood Reporter that talked about um, Independence Day. They interviewed a bunch of the cast members. This is like, this year is the 25th anniversary of this movie. So um, it's really appropriate that we're talking about it today. Um, so this is a quote from uh, Dean Devlin, one of the uh, writers. He says, shortly after the movie came out, Spielberg called us on the phone just to say how much he liked the movie and how he was so interested in how we combined genres. And he goes, I loved all of your references, especially to all of my movies. He also said, I just want you to be prepared. Right now, everybody is celebrating your movie, but a year from now, they are only going to talk about a focus on how much money it made. And they are going to somehow think the movie was not as good because I, it made so much money. But just know you made a great movie. I used to always throw a giant party every year at the Sundance Film Festival, and the very next year we threw our annual party, and the people were looking at us like, we're the, man, we're the enemy. We did a commercial movie. And then Emmerich goes on to say, Spielberg uh, invited us to the Jurassic Park 2 set, and the first, time, the first line he says to Dean and me is, you guys reinvented the blockbuster. After this movie, nobody can do a normal blockbuster anymore. Wow. Really high praise from Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Um, and actually, like, there's a bunch of articles out there, uh, also from The Hollywood Reporter and other places, saying how this movie revolutionized special effects in movies. Like, it, it changed the game forever. Um, before, they, they, a lot of these disaster movies, like I mentioned, like, only showed like hinted at destruction showed like uh like oh the aliens are going to destroy the world but they never showed anything about that this movie delivered on that destruction in a way that changed the way that movie blockbusters were made forever um and it, it's incredible uh, it's such a it holds such a cultural rel relevant uh culturally relevant position in our culture uh it's 
incredible, especially since how it is literally the most cheesy movie. <laughs> <you can think of. laughs> um, yeah, but speaking of the special effects, uh, mostly it was miniatures that weren't really small. They call them miniatures, but like there was a 30 foot destroyer model of the spaceship that they built like to uh, as a model. There was also a version of the mothership that spanned 12 feet. Um, so these are huge models that they made. City streets were recreated, then tilted upright uh, beneath a high-speed camera mounted on a scaffolding filming downwards. An explosion would be ignited below the model, and flames would rise toward the camera, engulfing the tilted model and creating the rolling wall of destruction Look, seen in the film. Oh, that's pretty yeah. cool. Practical effects, man. Like uh, We put so much... like. Uh, like so much money into computer CG, computer stuff and CGI, but this movie and a lot of movies from this era relied so heavily on special effects, and they look amazing, look absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I like practical effects a lot, and this movie does really well with that. Yeah, it does such a good job. And then there's a model of the White House, which I actually read two different articles that showed two different sizes, but one of them said 10 feet by 5 feet, another one said 15 by 10 feet or something like that. Uh, so this miniature, but pretty you know large scale model of the white house which they um used to film like exterior shot and then they ended up blowing up uh um, in the end um which took a week to plan and they actually had the press there to see it like uh to help like promote the movie they had like 50 people in some bleachers like 100 feet away saying hey we're gonna blow something up and it's gonna be amazing and uh, so there's all this pressure to get it right took them a week to plan it and they used like 40 tons of explosions i don't know something huge and they got that incredible shot of the white house exploding uh which is amazing it's very iconic yeah yeah um so this movie went on to win a bunch of awards it was also nominated for a golden raspberry i don't know if you're familiar with the raspberries but they're like is that the the uh, same thing as the razzies yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the ones that it's the it's the awards that they give to bad movies. The saying, right, right. But is bad it, are they called Razzies or is it different? I don't know if the Razzies are something different or if it's the if the Raspberries are something specific. I think they're. I'm pretty sure they're the same thing. Sounds like they're the same concept, giving yeah. awards to bad stuff. Yeah. This movie uh, was nominated for Worst Written Film, grossing over $100 million in 1997, but it ended up losing to the movie Twister um, in the end. They it was are also, the same thing. They are the same it was thing. also nominated for two Stinkers Bad Movie Awards as well. It didn't win either of those. Stinkers, either. okay. It was nominated for a ton of actual awards, including two Oscars, and it won for Best Visual Effects, um, and it won three Saturn Awards, which is a award category for for science fiction movies specifically. And it was nominated for a Hugo Award uh, for like Best Dramatic Screenplay or something, and it also won uh, a Kids' Choice Award, a uh, very high honor there. So, um, and, and one final cool Easter egg I got for you. This also comes from Wikipedia. A month after the film's release. Jewelry designers and marketing consultants reported an increased interest in dolphin-themed jewelry as the character Jasmine, Vivica A. Fox's character, wears dolphin earrings and is presented with a wedding ring featuring a gold dolphin. So, yeah, she has a thing for dolphins, I think. I guess so. Wilson says. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Cool. Yeah. Big-time cultural influence right there. That's right. Uh, okay. Well, then, that is going to conclude our... Easter eggs, and we'll move on to our quotable moments, and I've got the first one. Once again, the LAPD is asking Los Angeles not to fire their guns at the visitor spacecraft. You may inadvertently trigger an interstellar war. Please. <laughs> <laughs> this was hilarious to me. I think, like, this, when you have a movie about 
something like this, like a, a world altering event, like an invasion from aliens, you get a chance to point out little things like this that you no know, people might not think of where yes. it's like we don't know if we're gonna be at war with them but people might just start shooting into the sky with their guns americans especially yes so i thought that was very funny to I know, throw that up in to this there. point i was like eh, i was like eh, what about this i want to spend this movie and then i heard this part and i'm like maybe this movie's commentary in the american public is very accurate <laughs> maybe they I got mean, that exactly right that one, and then also the UFO party that they had in LA yes. was another one where I was like, yes, good. Show us more of like what people would do in this situation uh, because you get to have a choice. It showed basically everyone's reaction was get out of the city. But yeah, everyone's it, it was, panicking. Right, which, okay, fine. That's real, but also give me more. And I thought it was yeah. cool that they had those people who were like, no, we want the aliens to come and we're going to have a party and invite them. That was, that was cool. I like, it wasn't something that would immediately come to my mind as far as like what people would do in a actual alien invasion. So I did like that a lot. Um, okay. Now we've got this quote as well. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't understand. Just how exactly do we infect the mothership with this virus? We're, uh, we're going to uh, have to um, fly their alien craft out of our atmosphere and dock with it. We can enter here, uh, as shown in the satellite photos. We then upload the virus. We then set off some kind of uh, explosion, which will disable it, and that'll disorient the smaller ships below, and that could buy it, I think, at least some time to, uh, to take them take out, take them down, do your your stuff this is ridiculous <laughs> it is this, ridiculous this is so quintessential jeff goldblum this is why i mean again this is like his character is not somebody else it's just jeff goldblum explaining stuff yeah it's just him being himself I mean, he's dr ian malcolm for you know if you prefer but he's still just being who he is and only he can be so i i love hearing him talk so i definitely enjoyed Every time he opened his mouth in this movie, for the most oh, part. Oh, yeah. Definitely. It's just so Jeff. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so that's going to wrap up our quotes. Joey, I believe you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper. deeper, deeper. So why don't you start off by reading this first part? Okay. According to producer slash co-writer Dean Devlin, the U.S. military had agreed to support the film by allowing the crew to film at military bases, consulting the actors who have military roles, etc. However, after learning of the Area 51 references in the script, they withdrew their support. Yeah, it's an interesting little tidbit here. There's a couple of things. First of all, it's interesting that they take Area 51 references so seriously. You know, especially since like back when this movie came out, that was a that was a fun reference, not like a, you know, a, a raid on Area 51 was never really a thing. You know what I mean? Like people weren't that serious about it, I guess. Right. The like, conspiracy theories in general were a little bit more fun than, and not taken quite as seriously as they are today. Um, so, you know, it's interesting that they have this reference in here or that, that they're like, oh, Area 51. You're like you can't make a reference to that. That's our secret base that nobody knows about. It's like, well, you know, everybody knows about it, like, <laughs> but nobody really knows what it is. So, but what's also interesting about this is that they were seeking military funding for this movie, and it's actually not as uncommon as you might think. There's lots and lots of movies, ones that you may not even think of, that actually have a, a connection 
to the U.S. military and the DOD specifically. Um, and this comes in wide ranges of things. Like sometimes they actually supply actors or extras to be in the movie as like military personnel to be extras in the movie. Sometimes they will help write the script. Sometimes they will just, you know, give a lot of money to, to the movie. Um, and this is all in service of military propaganda. They're trying to recruit people to their service and stuff, trying to do stuff. Sometimes they will have, uh, they ha there's an interesting uh, article from the Los Angeles Times. They, they made a, uh, a uh, combination like, um, what's it, promo with X-Men uh, to help recruit for the military where they were showing shots from an X-Men movie. I can't remember which one. And, um, and like scenes of military people doing military things and were like, you know, real heroes go above and beyond or something like that, um, which was like, like kind of bizarre in a way. <laughs> um, but anyway, there's this website called Spy Culture where this guy is actually, con actually done a bunch of research and um, he has submitted a bunch of FOIA requests. I don't know if you are familiar with those or freedom of information requests. If, if you know, if you've heard of a, a Ken Klippenstein on Twitter, he's yes. like the king of FOIA requests. Basically, what they are is you you can petition the government for a um, for information about about anything. And they have any documents they have on that. They aren't necessarily required to give you, but you can ask for them. And uh, in many cases, they will just give it to you. And they have like a whole database of stuff that you can ask for. And as long as you are specific about what you're asking, they will usually respond with what you're asking for. And so somebody submitted a FOIA request first in, uh, in uh, 2014 and then in 2016 for all of the films that the DOD had a hand in. And they actually have a whole list here. Um, and some of the ones on here might be surprise you, such as Iron Man, Contact, um, Deja Vu, uh, Armageddon, um, I Am Legend, Golden Eye, Tomorrow Never Dies, all of the Transformers movies. Well, like Transformers is listed in here like five times, even though there's not. I think there's only five Transformers movies. Iron Man two, of course. Um, there's a whole bunch in here I've also never heard of. Um, but. Uh, Independence Day is not on either of these lists, and according to Dean Devlin, did not receive funding from this. Even though this movie is such a hardcore America is the best country movie, it was made by a German guy, and it didn't receive funding from the U.S. government. So <laughs> wow, it's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, it is, because it's it's so pro-military. Even when the president is trying to be like the macho bravery guy and telling the rest of his cabinet to go hide in the bunker, the general is like, sir, I'd like to stay by your side. That's right. Right. You know, and it's like, wow, thank you, military, for being uh, epic. Yeah, I love the military. Twister, which was kind of this movie's rival in 1996, is on this list. So, yeah, <laughs> it, it's very interesting. Um, yeah, so I, I, I have a link to this, obviously, and maybe I'll tweet it out or something, and you can scroll through these to see. Yeah, we'll put it in the description. Yeah, Captain yeah. Phillips is on here. And if you're, one of your favorite movies is on this list. But, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Anyway, that's all I got for... Uh, uh, cool, deeper sections. Deeper, yes, it is It is cool, isn't it, Joey? Well, that is going to bring us to the end of our conversation on Independence Day. As we do at the end of every episode on Affable Chat, we will deliver our ratings. Uh, Joey, do you want to go first? Sure. So I give this movie, uh, well, first you cut open an alien 
and inside is an uglier, even smellier alien. <laughs> and then you cut open that alien, and inside of that is an even uglier and smellier alien, on and on forever. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> um, I give this movie a pair of cigars to be enjoyed only after the fat lady sings. Ah, uh, perfect. So, I did think their little walk out of the uh, desert was was badass. Like, that oh, was a yeah. Very iconic look. They looked great. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith, like... And of course, both of them have like their wives slash girlfriends. I guess like everybody gets the girl, and also has a child, a girl, or has a child. Um, you know, mix and match. Yeah. yeah. yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> thank you, movie, for fulfilling all the stereotypes I need for my happy ending. Uh, so that's going to do it on Independence Day, Joey. What's next on Affable Chat? Next, we're going to do Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Yes, I uh, I have seen this movie, but I haven't seen it in a while, so I'm excited to revisit it next week with you, Joey. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really liked it, then tell your friends about it. All you have to say is, have you considered listening to Affable Chat? You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Affable Chat, or send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel. It's also called Affable Chat, and there are videos there. There indeed are, and Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Affable Chat. That is going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>